every time you ask for a tiny little change because you have a presentation to the board or to your marketing VP or something like that. Right? Those have business implication. Especially if it's been redone three times already. Oh gosh, don't get me started. Sometimes it's 30 times, it's not even free time. My name's Mike Lander, and you're listening to Marketing Negotiations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in partnership with The Drum, where we bring you negotiation insights from CMOs, agency leaders, and acclaimed authors. Majid, thank you ever so much for joining us on The Drum's Marketing Negotiations podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really looking forward to this. Uh, Really interesting background that you've got, some of the work you're doing now going forward. So before we get into the questions, um, a bit of background about yourself. So broadly, kind of what's your background? What's your current role? What are you doing now? Uh, And what's something unusual about yourself? Sure. Uh, Well, above all, I'm a deal maker. That's what I love. And that's what is my common thread in my background. My current role is chief client officer and co-founder at a company called Compliant, the digital um, privacy tech for Fortune 500 companies. And prior to that, I was blessed with an exciting uh, 15 plus years career, corporate career in marketing procurement. Um, I got the chance to lead multi-million dollar negotiation for some of the greatest brands out there at L'Oreal, Procter & Gamble, and General Mills. Um, around inspiring events like the World Cup, the Olympic Games. And I'm, I'm very grateful basically about this, uh, this period. I'm grateful that I was always, um, able to lead those negotiations in an ethical way, even under extreme pressure. And now I'm, I'm grateful that I get a chance to teach or pass on some of those values through the, some of my personal initiative, like the Marketing Procurement Podcast and uh, the soon-to-come Marketing Procurement Academy. Excellent. Do you want to just touch on the Marketing Procurement Academy, about what that is? Sure. The why, uh, before I get to what what is it, yeah. why did I create the Marketing Procurement Academy in the first place? It's just a simple acknowledgement that there is a $1 trillion US dollar marketing and communication spend per annum out there that is managed by Marketing Procurement Professionals. So just to check, that was, because people are listening, going, it can't be right. <laughs> that was a trillion dollars. A trillion dollar can be fact-checked. Uh, no problem. Just like everything wow. I'm going to say on the podcast, it sounds staggering and it's huge amount of money. And when you have huge of amount of money spent, you have huge accountability and responsibility that comes with it. So basically, the reason why I created the Marketing Procurement Academy is on the simple foundation that when I joined Marketing Procurement um, 20 years ago, there was really nowhere where to learn how to become an excellent Marketing Procurement practitioner. 20 years later, there is still nothing out there in terms of codified learning pathway, um, what are the behavioral skills, mindset. There is, of course, a lot of great trainings, ad hoc trainings, yeah, but there is not yet a place where um, you can go and get um, a codified uh, learning journey to become a, a great marketing procurement practitioner. So, oh, and that, we talked, Maji, didn't we, about um, a, a very interesting topic about if you look at where a lot of marketing procurement people come from in their careers, 
Not all, because some are long-time marketing procurement professionals, but quite a lot, if they're on their career portfolio kind of development program, they may have been in direct procurement, direct sourcing, um, in an FMCG company, Mm -hmm. and suddenly find themselves in marketing procurement on their way to becoming a regional CPO in the next few years. So do you want to just touch on that for a second? I know we haven't rehearsed the question, but you've got the experience. So let's talk to the person with the experience. No, absolutely. And I experienced it firsthand because um, my own upbringing is in engineering. So nothing to do with marketing procurement. Uh, I just saw the little anecdote. And I touched on that on, on one episode in, in, the podca- in the marketing procurement podcast. I fell into marketing procurement before I fell in love marketing procurement. Ah. I'm going to re- I fell into marketing procurement before I fell in love with marketing procurement. The reason why I'm saying that is that humbly, I had no training whatsoever. It was like a sink or swim. I was coming from direct packaging background engineering. I worked in plant. I led negotiation, but it was negotiation in the UK with unions to avoid strikes in front of our plant back in the days. So So those are really tough negotiations, as I know from my past. (laughs) Those those are the the best learning experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, from this, I was overnight transferred into one of the largest FMCG um, out there, Procter & Gamble, into the wonderful jungle um, as I used to call it when I studied of uh, marketing procurement yeah. in a point in time when um, literally there was very little understanding of um, anything. Um, the the spend, who were the internal stakeholders, who were the actual agencies and suppliers we were spending the money with yeah. and so on and so forth. So it was just a... Um, what there was we no call spend it. cube, as we'd call it, of data. No, 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 I don't. I wish there was. Um, but uh, basically, uh, going without uh, the robust structure, skill set, and understanding of what should I do, actually, as a marketing procurement practitioner, what is the value yeah. that I'm supposed to bring here, was the worst experience and the best gift I ever got because it became a white page. And if someone did not write the script for me, I thought, that's great. I'm going to write it for myself. I get to define what is excellence. I get to hear from relationship that I create with the marketing leadership, with agencies, what is their expectation. And from all these input signals, I'm going to define for myself what the North Star should be and what excellence should be. And about also how we we come to the questions that we talked about, but this is just one of those rabbit holes that we uh, we like to go down. Um, value creation, because you've come from a background where it's a white sheet of paper, you get to define the rules of the road. Create working out what value really means when you're buying marketing services, buying media, whatever it might <laughs> be. Um, we were saying before, it's not singular. There are many, many aspects to value creation for both parties, for the provider, the agency, and for the brand. Do you want to touch on that for a second? Because it's a very interesting topic. Sure. The topic of value creation is um, is a topic of fundamental importance 
for many reasons, because basically it has uh, impact on the entire scope of relationship between marketing procurement inside their companies and outside their companies with agencies and supplier. One of the greatest gifts I got is actually in my first experience in marketing procurement, I was not responsible for budgets. I got to that after. I started with uh, something that back in the days was called alliances between brands. So it was typically, um, it was kind of unsettling because I was there sitting at Procter & Gamble, one of the largest advertisers in the world, and being very humbled because the intent was to strike partnership with external brands like Pampers, UNICEF. You heard probably about the WWF and um, some of the laundry uh, brand uh, alliances. And there we work. So these are strategic partners that one of the product brands within P&G would strike um, in order to do sustainability or because of social good or whatever it might Absolutely. be. Absolutely. And those kind of negotiations were very interesting because it was more about understanding the need, motivators, and priorities of the external partner in order to shape the alliance on your end. So it was not a typical buy-sell relationship. And from those, basically, back to your question on measurement, I got really groomed into this spirit of let's start first understanding what is value, what it means for the person uh, that I'm talking to, what it means for me, how we define value can be in many nature for some people in those alliances. Value is uh, a great uplift of their brand credibility, brand awareness uh, for others. You're helping to um, expand or exponentially grow their distribution channel because you're in the FMGG space with a lot of access to the trade to retailers and they are in another industry with uh, an overall uh, distribution strategy. So from this mindset, I started really earlier on thinking broadly about what you could measure when structuring a deal and a negotiation. And ultimately, the money exchange in those kind of barter deal alliances was just the afterthought. It was, oh, okay, we need to think a bit about of securing a bit of money for because who's going to cover the costs of collateral and exactly. campaigns? Producing and, yeah. a campaign, promoting a bit what we're doing in this alliance and so on and so forth. But it was the money aspect was really the almost the last element, I would say. So structuring a negotiation like that was a very um, enriching experience for me. And this is what I'm now trying to convey to the marketing procurement community. Think about... So Majid, on that point... So just uh, again, if I draw on if I draw on some of the theory and link it to what you've just mm-hmm. said, very practically, in the negotiation world, we talk about demands and interests. Yes. People often get trapped in demands. I want something. I need something. I won't pay more than X. I won't provide for less than Y. Those are straight out demands. What I always say to people is, and the theory is yeah, very clear, which is you've got to find out what the interests are behind those demands. Yeah. And the interests are, what are the motivations behind what someone's demanding? Yes. What's motivating them to say what they're saying? And I think what you've just 
described very eloquently through a um, a particular specific opportunity around how do you negotiate alliances is, it's actually all about their motivations. It's all about their interests yes. and what they bring to the party Absolutely. on both sides. Absolutely. And one of my guiding principles, I think you and I already talked about that, but failing to prepare is preparing to fail. To get to be able to ask and to really try to understand, even start to try to understand someone's motivator, you need to have done your pre-work also internally. When you come as a buyer at the table, how much did you actually interrogate your internal partners, stakeholders to understand what could form value on your side and what are they willing to contemplate at the table of negotiation of items that you can trade and what they would be interested in a partner. And where I found out um, I ended up being myself in the end is actually helping some of my marketing business partner think outside of the box and doing a bit of the pre-work in the conversation or in brainstorming room thinking, hey, how have you thought about what is this company or this brand doing out there? Would that be of value if we were connecting our communication at this level? Um, have you considered this distribution channel where they're at? Is it something that is interesting for you? So it, it takes a lot of preparation to be able to come at the table of discussion and negotiation. But it is to me the pre-work that if you don't do it, you're going to ultimately fail and end up being in the rabbit hole of I have this to buy, I have this amount of money, tell me how much I can buy for it. Exactly. And I think, you know, that also links into a couple of other principles. One is around the zone of possible agreement. And what you've just described there is the zone of agreement isn't just about the finances, the money. The zone of agreement is what are the boundaries within which both sides are willing to play? If you can't get alignment around that early on, there isn't a deal to be had. Absolutely. And being creative in how you structure this uh, zone of potential agreement is really what makes the magic happen. Because I've been in very um, heated or negotiations that were led under extreme pressure because of the objective on both sides of the spectrum and um, the amount of money also involved. Now, the best discussion or the discussions that finally got to the best outcome were the ones where at some point throughout the discussion, one or another party was willing to increase the scope of possible. Exactly. And help think out of the box. So if we get stuck because we started our negotiation along the lines of, I want this on those five criteria and you want this on those five criteria, we hit a dead end at some point. It's almost always the case that there is a six or seven dimension that I did not think about yet or the other party did not think about yet. So how you get past this uh, dead end is by basically opening up the conversation and creating a new dimension of negotiation. Absolutely. And and again, you know, what I find fascinating just because of who I am and who you are is if I read, obviously I read a lot of negotiation books, I read the theory and I turn it to practice for all of my clients. That, that's what I do and that's I know that's what you do as well. If you look at 
the theory piece, that's about what they call integrative negotiations. Yes. We're making the pie bigger for both parties. Because we've paused, if we were negotiating on something now, and we come to a bit of a deadlock, whereby we both kind of reached the end stops around those five variables, and we, it, if we weren't slightly more developed negotiators, that might kill the deal. But if we just stopped and went, Majid, let, let's, let's just part that for a second. Can I just understand a bit more about what are your priorities for the next 18 months, two yes. years? What are your marketing colleagues' priorities? What have you tried that's not worked? What have you tried? What have you tried that has worked? What else are you thinking about within your broader scope of marketing procurement activities where maybe I can help? Can you just like, if you enter that conversation, all this stuff comes out that you wouldn't be negotiating around? It's really about um, having the ability. And this is where, to me, there is art and science yes. in deal making around yeah. marketing procurement and marketing overall. The science will give you everything that you need to be equipped to be a trained negotiator, the theory, um, and you can theoretically apply that to marketing and to other places. Now, the art that you need to master in the marketing space is what we're talking about. Oh, let's get into that. Oh, where, no one's talked about this. So <laughs> where where the ones negotiating on behalf of the marketers or the brand builders. It's yeah. all about creativity. So applying a bit of this creativity in the science and the discipline that comes along with the procurement discipline anyway is what takes it to the next level. So talk about the art of negotiating rather than the science. The science we've just talked about, there's templates, there's processes, there's checklists, there's preparation. That, that's a necessary. You have to do all that. If you don't do that, it, 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 if an agency meets you in your old role and they haven't done that, they shouldn't really be at the table. So that, that for me, is like they've just not done their homework. Yep. But now let's talk about the art of how... What's the art of creative deal-making? Can you even... Can you synthesize that? Can, can you, have you got some ideas and themes that we can talk about? Sure. And it goes from the very strategic side of things to very tactical. Let me start with the strategic angle. Using words like value, a creative relationship, puts you in the right state of mind to approach the topic of negotiation creatively. What do I mean by value accretive relationship? How do I create a relationship with the partner that I have next to me or in front of me that is going to sustain value creation for both sides, both parties, if it's a bilateral agreement, or three parties or four, if it's a multi-parties uh, agreement, over time. So, so already there, I'm not going in the transaction for a one-off. I'm going to knock you on the head and you're going to give me the price that I want, Mike. It's not my mindset. I want to figure out how I'm making this relationship worthy as much to you as to me and sustain that over time. Now, it takes you in a very different dimension in terms of how you set the discussion, who you bring at the table of negotiation, and I'm going from the strategic angle to the tactical piece. Introducing, having chemistry meeting between two CEOs, for example. 
Have you thought about that in your negotiation? The day when you structure uh, your negotiation, the location, the room, have you booked a room in your office that makes the other partner feel like, wow, I feel respected here. I feel valued. Uh, have you invited them for lunch? Did you think about how they're going to your office? More, more for the most tactical angle of things. But the art is all those smaller elements, whether they're at strategic level or tactical level, that rely a lot on emotional intelligence and treating the partner as someone special that you want to make feel that they're important to you and they will give you that back in return. Because they genuinely are important. Exactly. And aren't we in the, in the, in the space of creating a relationship? Again, I'm going back to the space of marketing. We do that day in, day out. You create favorable relationship with consumer between your brand and consumer. You establish trust. So then consumer will go back and buy and buy more or more frequently your product or services. This is what we do in marketing and brand building. How do you transfer that in the way you negotiate in marketing procurement with agencies, with partners, with uh, TV, digital vendors? To me, is the um, art part of marketing procurement that um, have yet to become something that people think automatically or by default, as opposed to uh, the exception out there. Absolutely. So this brings, there's a whole other kind of <laughs> conversation as well around some things here. A couple of things that popped into my mind just then. Um, and I forgot who I was talking to last week sometime. Um, mm-hmm. And we were talking about, um, I don't know who it was. I think it was it was Jeb Blount, who's a sales, uh, he runs a big sales training organization in the States. And um, he was talking about when you're negotiating, um, when I'm negotiating with you, Majid, um, in your old role, yes, I'm negotiating with you, Majid, as a person, but you're representing your organization. Yes. And I'm representing my organization. And in the art of negotiation, having that in my mind and in your mind is really important because it's no longer personal. It's not what you personally want and what I personally want. It's what's best for our organization for our organizations. If we think that way, we will have far more creative deal structures than we will if we focus on our own personal agendas about what's a a win for you or for me. And that I talk about is the moment you get emotionally wedded to a deal and it's personal, the deal's kind of over, really. You might get something over the line, sure, but it won't be a value accretive deal. It'll be a compliant deal for what we need at the moment, but it may not create long-term value. You're touching on a very important um, element of the motivators here. And um, there are twofold. There is really the company motivators. And when you prepare for negotiation, it's very important to actually break down the two side of things. Who do I have? around the table? Do I really understand Mike? Does Mike really understand me? Did I create the space of trust for him to be able to ask the question to understand me? And what are my motivators? Where do I come from? How do I negotiate culturally? Are we at this level of understanding? The other category is the company motivator. Of course, those are the business goals. And those are the ones that really prevail or should prevail. I've been lucky enough to work for, for PNG for many years. And 
I can look back at the past 20 years and I feel really grateful that I've always been able to lead every negotiation in an ethical way. And that's because of the DNA of the company. You know, when you think about your personal motivator, sometimes you may be tempted. And I've been in some negotiation like that where, where I had the seller um, in front of me, in front of the, at the table of negotiation, offering things or proposing to take shortcuts um, for a deal to happen. And I could always sit and say, no, I'm not willing to cross that line. Let's make a deal that is right for our two companies. That's what basically is the most important part of, of things. Then individually, what you and I have to gain out of it is really not part of the equation at all. Absolutely. I mean, a fascinating, fascinating topic, definitely. And about that, uh, and we've both seen them um, in our old roles when we were both buyers. Agencies, not all, this isn't a, a sweeping statement about agencies at all, mm-hmm. the opposite. Some agencies that I would meet um, bring their creativity and thinking around the, um, I've just met the CMO, We've, we're going to have these amazing campaigns. They bring it into the negotiations and they don't use their creativity to make the pie bigger for both of us. Mm-hmm. They get angry when I talk about governance and I talk about term and termination rights and yeah. about scope. And they're like, you don't understand. You, it, it, this is much more about the creative. And I'm like, I'm assuming you've done that with the CMO. Can you change hats now and talk to me about how we're going to make the governance work for this program? Yes, there are other things to talk about as well, about making the deal bigger. But you have to also tune into, I'm the kind of the guardian of the corporate um, uh, brand. And we, yeah, we need to understand the risks. And that, I think, sometimes gets missed. You've used a very important word, which is the guardian. And uh, on the topic of agency relationship, they have a, a lot of complexity to to deal with. So I have a lot of respect for yes. agency partners that I worked with in the past and um, some of them that I actually had very um, educational conversation to try to have them grasp the benefit of working with marketing procurement in the right way. Now, in the right way, it takes two to tango. So you need to have a marketing procurement organization in front of you that is really groomed this right way, that is willing to understand the agency business model, their motivators, how to basically nurture this relationship, specifically with agencies. Yeah, You are nurturing, we're we're at the core, we're nurturing people, relationship, creativity that people will apply if they love your company and your brand to make it more and more successful. How do you rationalize that? It's pretty um, hard, but it's possible. Now it takes two um, levels of understanding, marketing procurement to really understand what the agencies are, business-wise, how do do they operate, how you get the best out of uh, working with an agency when you're a marketer. And the other way around, how an agency understand what marketing procurement is, what is their motivator, what is their reward system, how they get measured, and so on and so forth. The last point on this is, there is no great deal without governance around a deal. So the discussion can be all fantastic, flowery in the beginning between a creative person at an agency and a creative person in marketing. but in 12, 18, 24 
24 months from now, will they remember this passion that was in the room at this time of this discussion? Probably Which is critical. No. The passion is critical. Absolutely. But what makes the passion go from this initial relationship to two, three, four, five years down the line, keeping the same level of passion is actually the governance, is yes. making sure the swim lanes in the relationship are established. Not the sexiest thing to do, frankly, but a lot of credit goes for marketing procurement actually to carry this kind of water uphill and establish the swim lanes for this passion to keep basically nurturing and grow over time. And those, I, I, it's a great way of putting it. You know, governance <clears throat> is around swim lanes and it's about elements of control and reporting and you know, showing me that you've done what you'd say you would do and that we've done what we say we would do. And that, you know, when you present an invoice, the what's on the invoice reconciles the three-way match with, you know, what we've actually bought and, you know, what you've delivered. And it, it's got to all tie up. Otherwise, if that doesn't tie up, the relationship will be in tatters because someone's going to complain somewhere. There, there is a lot of chatter still today um, that, that I have a hard time reconciling. Uh, how come we're still there, basically, um, around the, the topic of, uh, of pitch? Uh, I don't want to get into this one because we'll need to, uh, to record we need another episode. Ep episode. <laughs> um, but oftentimes, a pitch is the outcome of a relationship that was not sustained over time. That's it. Unfortunately, how did we get to this point and why did we not catch it before? If we got married at some point, if you get a strong agency relationship, you want it to be sustained because you exchange with these agencies. Uh, oftentimes, agency people understand much more about your brand than your own organization. They become the, the legacy, the knowledge base for your brand. So you really want this relationship to, um, to live over time. Many times uh, I've been exposed to someone asking me, hey, how do we find an over agency for this or that? And my first reaction is, but what's going on with the current one? Exactly. Automatically, my brain goes there. I'm here. Where did you start? Can you help me understand, describe the relationship at its best when we started working together? What, what did it feel like? What did it look like? What did you measure? What was the structure around that? But most importantly, what did it feel like? All right. When people start expressing that, then you get them to describe how the current situation compares versus their ideal um, situation. And then you start bridging the gap of, oh, okay, maybe we part ways here because we did not clearly outline. And oftentimes it's like tiny point of friction that becomes uh, bigger and bigger with snowball effect. I get very frustrated because I'm asking my agency partner to uh, uh, redo this copy and they're very reluctant. So they're not collaborative. I'm like, hold on, hold on. Where is it written that they have to redo the copy in the first place. Is that part of the agreement? Do we Especially give them if it's been fair? redone three times already. Oh gosh, don't get me started. Sometimes it's 30 times. It's yeah. not even free time. Like, do you understand like the amount of work that you're pushing on the agency side, their work processes, their remuneration yeah. of their people? 
every time you ask for a tiny little change because exactly. you have a presentation to the board or to your marketing um, VP or something like that. Right? Those have business implication. So basically, long story short there, the better those swim lanes are established from the beginning, and this is the role of marketing procurement, but they need to work hand in hand with marketing and with the agency. Everybody needs to acknowledge that there is a part of governance that is ultra important in sustaining a, a healthy relationship. And I use the word carefully, healthy relationship, because there will be ups and downs. And you need to stick with people that stick with you when things are going down. And you need to avoid the memory erasure that I've seen happen, unfortunately, across the industry where you have great relationship when everything is okay. And then the first thing you think is, how do I change partners, agency, and so on, when there is a minimum error in the system or things aren't so great. It's like how you reward, actually. That's what I mean by value accretive relationship. If someone helped you in the beginning, yep. you'd better think five years down the line. Exactly. I, I want to help them back. Majid, it's been amazing. Like, truly I've looked back through the questions that we agreed and the topics. We've covered all the topics. Not in the I sequence so. that we agreed, but we have covered most of the topics. One last question for you. So mm -hmm. what are your kind of two or three kind of key takeaways, your tips to marketing procurement people and or agency leaders when they're negotiating marketing deals? There are a um, couple of them. The first one is I insist on the notion of common understanding. So having a very deep understanding of what marketing procurement does, why they do it, what their motivator is of the utmost importance for marketers, the functional leaders, and the agency. The other way around marketing procurement need to do a deep analysis, understanding of how the reward system works and the motivators work in the agency space. That's the first element. The second one is the notion of value, a creative relationship. I can't repeat it enough, but it's okay to leave money on the table short term if the relationship is going to create value over time. That's what great negotiators do. They help each other to solve problems. Maybe you're not going to see a financial impact and you're not going to be able to measure saving immediately, but don't rush for that. Like if you're able to articulate the value that a deal creates over time, it's okay to leave money on the table during certain years of this deal, one way or the other. The third and last point is try to always think in 20 years from now, and that's how I feel about my experiences as a negotiator. Have I done things ethically? Can I look myself up in the mirror and is there anything that I would do differently? Of course, there are things that I would do differently in terms of preparing, maybe better understanding, maybe better aligning mandates of negotiation. But ethically, I feel super grateful that I can say, I can look back at all those negotiations, all those deals that I've done, and I feel fair and square. And I would do them again today the same way. Majid. Fantastic summary. Um, amazing conversation. Really, really interesting and enjoyable. Um, where can people find out more about you? 
Many places. Thanks for having me, uh, Mike, first off. Um, there is the Marketing Procurement Podcast. Maybe we can tie that in the, um, in the description. Uh, the soon-to-come exciting about this release, Marketing Procurement Academy, mktprocurement.com. And of course, if anyone wants to reach out, LinkedIn is always a good place to do that. Perfect. Majid, thank you ever so much for joining us on the Drums Marketing Negotiations Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.